And we're broadcasting from the greenhouse booth at HR Tech, 7116. If you're in the neighborhood, come by and see us. Got uh, Jeremy and Adam with us today. Why don't we do some introductions? Jeremy, would you tell us a little bit about you and what you do? Yeah, uh, happy to be here. Thanks for thanks for having me on the show. 100%. Uh, my name is Jeremy Schiff. I'm the founder and CEO of RecruitBot. RecruitBot is a sourcing automation platform yeah. that uh, has a database of 600 million people uh, with personal contact information, uses machine learning to find people who are similar to the people you already like, and then can run automated email campaigns to get those people to talk to you. I like it already. I like it already. Adam, I've known you for 100 years. I could probably reintroduce yourself, but why don't you, why don't you introduce yourself? Yep, so uh, Adam Couch with Olio, um, and have been uh, in this space for 20 years. Um, I, when I knew William, I think he had babies and I had no kids. And now we have kids in college and grown. So, um, been been around the block, and he just pulled me from around the corner. So um, glad to be here. But um, so I'm the head of global sales at Olio. Been here eight years. We're in a global applicant tracking, CRM, and events management so, uh, solution that really focuses on financial services and high volume. Um, so customers like Goldman Sachs, Amazon, Bank of America use us also for early careers hiring. So. Um, it, it's a it's a crowded space. It's one that uh, has been around a long time. But yeah. I, I think our differentiated last thing here is that I would say this: we're the most configurable system on the market, hands down. And I've been I've I've seen a lot of them. And them so customers want it their way. We don't put them in the SaaS box. We give them the SaaS, uh, I would say, capabilities, but they can have it their way. So you've both hired through the years. Yeah, the question is your favorite candidate question. Someone that's asked you a question and you're like. That's a really cool question. Not a stumper, you know, but just something where they, you're like, that's really empathetic, that's really cool. Like, I might not hire you, but that's a great question. So, Jeremy, I'll start with you. What was the question? Yeah, I think uh, one of the most interesting things was, what do you think that other people on the team will describe about what they like about working at the company? So it was oh, very interesting cool. rather than saying like, why do you like the company, right? It's, it's I'm going to be working as part of a broader team of people why do you think that they go and do that? And presumably, uh, if you're interviewing really smart people, they understand that half of the interview process is them interviewing for interviewing the company as well. That's right. And so confirming that there was alignment between the leadership and the uh, sort of people that they would be working on day to day and making sure that everyone was consistent with the values right. and uh, why everyone was excited to be going there in the morning, I, I thought was a really insightful question. I love, I'm going to steal that, actually. I love that question. Adam, I mean, you've heard yeah. a jillion people. So what's, what's your favorite question? It was, so when I speak to folks on your team, what are they going to say about you? Like, that's nice. Well, I, I, I can tell you what I hope they say, but uh, so that was, you know, kind of like, what is your team going to say about you? I, I got, I had one yesterday where they were like, the, the candidate asked, what's it like to work with you? Not the company. Sure. Not the, you know, not anybody else, but you. Like, how can I be sex, successful with you? Sure. And I thought that was genius. I'm like, you know what? Yep. No, I'm gonna play a single, a single game. I want to, I want to be successful. But you know, tell me the how it works, etc. So, I love that. That's that's fantastic. All right. So, how do we get people beyond? How do we get TA and hiring managers to look past the resume or past the LinkedIn profile? I'll start with Adam. I'll start with you on this one. Just how do we get them? You know, like in Texas, we have this phrase. I hear what you're not saying. 
So, like, in a resume, there's stuff that's stated, and then there's a bunch of stuff that's not stated. Yep. So how do we get them to look past that? Man, I think, and we spoke about this yesterday, but with all the talk of AI and, and automation, what does that do? I think it allows recruiters to get back to having a conversation. At the end of the day, and what you guys do, it's about how can you scale, but how can you scale, in my opinion, to just have conversations with people. Um, you, you didn't choose your wife or your girlfriend or your partner based upon a piece of paper right. or looking at a website. But you may start there, yeah, yeah. But, but you're well, going to go have a conversation. You might meet them. Wife, yeah, right? that would be different. Yeah, different, <laughs> but, you know. um, but I, I think that's what it is. It's just about having conversations and getting in front of people, which is hard in a virtual world, right? But you know, we, we're big on when we hire virtual, we'll fly out, we'll still meet them. Um, or we'll have folks in the local areas go meet them. Um, and I think that's important. So. I love that. Jeremy, what, yeah. what's your take? For me, it's, it's, it's actually all about relevancy, right? And so when people say look past, the look past the resume, in my mind what they really mean is looking past the really obvious, usually pretty strong biases that the hiring manager has, right? They don't really mean ignore the resume, they mean well, they're not from these set of six schools that you're that you're yeah. demanding, or they're not from these 12 companies that you're demanding, or something like that. And so, what it ultimately boils down to is, how do you get insight about what is on the resume that is still very relevant right. to the background, right? right. Um, we, one of our best uh, customer, we're a SaaS tool, and one of our absolute best customer success people, uh, he had startup experience, but he also worked at Home Depot, and so right. very unconventional candidate. Right. Uh, he has exceeded every, every expectation from everyone in the company, and everyone talks about how great he is all the time. I couldn't be more excited to work with Dan every day. And uh, yes, he had some startup experience, was what, which what piqued our interest, but the fact that he was incredibly relatable when he talked to sort of the initial recruiter was, like that was a very simple way to package this is why someone's background, right. even if they're less conventional, is going to be really relevant to uh, a customer success role, I and like it's that. been a huge win. And so it's it's always this sort of weird framing of uh, ignore the resume or only like look at the job title and job description. In my mind, it's it's right. something in between. Right. I like that y'all answered that differently, but got to a very similar space and a really cool place. So that's great for the audience. Thank you both. That's that's awesome. All right, we're going to talk a little bit about reducing hiring bias. So in the interview process or otherwise, kind of how can, I don't believe personally, I don't believe that we can get rid of bias like completely, but we can kind of lessen it over over time and over through practice and technology, etc. So what's your take, what's your advice with customers when they say, hey, we want to reduce interview bias or hiring bias or sourcing bias or whatever, what's your take? Yeah, I have a very strong opinion on this because this is actually one of the reasons I started the company. Um, everyone's always talking about how machine learning and AI can sort of reinforce biases that are there, but right. it turns out if you're smart about how you structure what the machine learning is going to focus on, if it's ignoring things like names or photos or things like that, um, it's really going to, again, sort of getting back to the relevancy point from the, the last question, right. uh, it's really going to focus on the skills that really matter. And the reason this matters the most is there are all these studies that show that the further down the interview pipeline the candidate gets, 
the more they're treated like a human and the less that they're treated like an abstract sort of concept, right? right. And so if I'm, if I'm sitting in front of the person and I'm going asking them about their experiences and they're walking me through that, I'm going to be much more engaged about the experiences. Right. If I'm just looking at someone's resume, it's really easy to be like, eh, that doesn't look like the sort of person that I'm looking for. Right. I've literally had people... Home Depot. Yeah. Exactly. I've literally had people... We, so we at RecruitBot, we don't even show photos when people are sourcing. And I've had people ask, can you put photos in? Because I know what a smart person looks like. Uh, we didn't work with that customer. Wow. Um, but it really puts in Actually, perspective. I would really like to know that answer yeah, if, it, if, if there is one. It's terrifying. So from my perspective, uh, I mean, obviously there are ways to mitigate it the whole way through, right. but the further up the funnel you are, especially on the sourcing side of things, right. uh, the more you can sort of mitigate it up front. And Almost also to if, where you source. Exactly, uh, including how, like, if you're proactively sourcing, you can try and rebalance things. So right. for example, we have diversity filters, so I can go and proactively reach out to women or African-American or right. Latinx or uh, veterans, all sorts of these sort of important DEI categories to right. help balance out your organization and get different perspectives. Um, and that also is a really useful way of helping make sure, making sure that you have a diverse pool. Because if you're just, let's say you have a very biased pool of people who are applying to your job because of whatever you do, maybe right. it's more exciting to one demographic than another. You're sort of beholden to that. You can't sort of invent new candidates. Right. So the only way to do that is to go and proactively go and reach out to the right people. I love it. Adam, I yeah, so I answer it in two ways. And the first one is we'll never be able to take the bias out right. until we change the whole generation behind us. And we don't have time for that, right? Because we won't be here. Um, and so that's a whole different conversation. But um, I think for the experienced hire, so what we do, I always say this, for recruiters and hiring managers, you got to give them tools that they don't have to think about. Right. right? It's just, it's part of what they do. So sales guys, we hate going to CRMs and putting emails in there, but if it's integrated with email, it's going to show up there, right? And so I think what we do is we put tools within our platform that allows, it's, it's it, they don't have to think about it. Right. It, the name's not there, the picture's not there, the school's not there. And there's the, the names aren't there, right? It's just, it's what are the skill sets? That's one thing. And I think what we're seeing on the early career side too, a lot, and it's bigger in Europe, now we're starting to see it here, but it's social mobility, right? And right. so taking that out, we don't care what gender you are, what color you are, how did you grow up? Right. right. Begin asking these questions of, are you first gen college? Did you, were you on lunch assistance in high school? So now they, you can you can truly take the bias out of traditional bias and go hire the best person, but also help the next generation up. So we're seeing that as a big movement um, with our social mobility tool in the early careers. I love that. I love that. Okay, so y'all deal with a lot of clients, a lot of TA professionals, sourcing professionals, etc. So one of the questions, and you got a little bit to it, Adam, with skills. Yesterday, someone talked to to me about hiring the skills of now and the skills of next which I thought was really, really kind of a nice frame for thinking about potentiality. So what's your best advice with clients around skills, transferable, tangential, whatever the bit is, like how do you, how do you guide them when they say, Adam, we're thinking about skills and how do we hire for skills and skills-based hiring and you know, all of that stuff. What's your, what's your take right now? Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's, it's a tough one, it's a changing one, right? right. I mean, so, um, well, well, 
we have a good ecosystem of partners to do skill-based assessments, right? right? And so I think for us, it's understanding what are you looking for now? What does the next look like for you? Right. And then putting a map, you know, map that together. So we're seeing a lot of organizations bring in outside consultants to help deal with that because they don't have the skill sets. Right. The technology's not, they don't know what they, they don't know what they don't know. Right. So my question is go talk to an expert. I'm not. <laughs> so that, that, that's what I advise them to do. <laughs> I stay in my lane on that one, William. Sorry. 100%. 100%. Jeremy? Yeah. You get clients asking me about this. So what's, what's your take? For sure. So I, I'd argue there's sort of a human component and then a technology component. So on the human component side, I'd argue there's sort of two pieces as well. So the, the first one is you already have an amazing asset of the people that are already working there, right? And so there's always going to be 10 or 20% of your workforce that's the early adopters that are always right. looking to play with the next thing. There's right. just always, you know who those people are. Right. Everyone knows who they are in your organization. And sometimes they go a little too far, but 100%. they have a really good sort of uh, a compass as to where these sorts of tools are really going to be more interesting, which skills are really going to matter more. And so going and just going, listening to your people and understanding what are the skills that are evolving, like, Everyone's talking about gener uh, generation, uh, um, generative AI. Yep. Like, a lot of that's going to be incredibly impactful, and a lot of that's not going to be impactful at all. And right. people are still trying to assess where it's going to matter and when. It's the right? Beginning of the internet. Exactly. It's this. It's, it's the exact same. That's that's the that is the exactly right metaphor. Right. And so people are, are like, we, Are we going to be using iframes to develop websites? Exactly. I don't know. We'll, we'll find know. out, right? <laughs> and but but knowing, hey, we should have a couple of people who know about iframes is probably a good idea. Hundred percent. And so those people can help guide you about the sort of next generation skills, and then. Uh, when you're going to go and proactively do it, there are two ways to do it. One, um, like if you're going to go and reach out to people, uh, tools like RecruitBot actually make it very easy to go and type in skills and even find other related skills that might be relevant for you to go and find. Right. Um, but then the other thing where you can go a level deeper is, what are the backgrounds of the sorts of people that know a certain, that will eventually go and learn a certain technology, right. so that I can. They're adaptive, they're agile. And you can see the early adopters, right? You can see, hey, this person was playing with You're this sort of technology. For those people. That's exactly right. And right. so you want to sort of proactively be like, if, if this, it's, I'm, I'm a nerd, so which skills are going to be correlated with the skill that ultimately is going to matter, right. and then go and say, great, let's go and proactively reach out to these people. We used to call it the people could do the that could deal with ambiguity. Exactly. Let's go. Let's go hire the people that can deal with ambiguity because there's going to be a whole lot of ambiguity. We need people that can consume that faster than other folks. Yep. All right. Last question, and it's not necessarily a horror story, candidate-wise or interview-wise, but like I tell the story of. Uh, it was late stage with a, an executive. <clears throat> Had the whole team, everybody was on board. We went out to lunch, and uh, right before we start to eat, guy takes out his teeth, puts his teeth on the table, and this guy was high, a, CAO, a CRO. This guy was hired. It was like, like this was a rubber stamp meeting, right? Rubber, rubber stamp lunch. And the other executives could not get past the teeth. Sure. I could. I'm like, I don't care. He's, he's you know, he's, he's going to be going a job. Like, this has nothing to do with his competencies. Agreed. Just, you know, why would I give? Why would I care? They called him Teeth Guy, and like, I could not. They could not. Like, I couldn't get him over the. I couldn't get him over the hump. So that was kind of a <clears throat> bad interview or a bad interview experience. I know we've all had them. Why don't we start with you, Jeremy? What's been? If you, as a candidate, or you as a hiring manager, or a story you heard, it's fine. Yeah. What, what's kind of your worst? I, I'm just trying to think, like, honestly, uh, 
it's funny because that story reminds me a lot of like a lot of those interview stories are less about skills and are more about social intelligence, right? 100%. And so like, I mean, I. I used to be a hardcore tech nerd by training, have a PhD in, from, uh, from Berkeley in machine learning and all of that sort of stuff. And I was interviewing a, an executive to go and be a COO. And they were like, hey, I really thought you were going to, uh, like you were going to be completely socially awkward. And like, I'm really <laughs> surprised. The bar really low. Yeah, but well, it was, they, they were like trying to do it as a compliment, but it like did not at all come off that way. It was just sort of like, yeah, like I thought I was going to, that you were going to be in this really narrow box and I was going to have to basically be the socially intelligent one for both of us, <laughs> which I found really ironic because they weren't being socially intelligent when they were relaying all of this right. stuff to me and they thought it was like an endearing way to build camaraderie <laughs> um, but like again this it's it's also tricky when you're interviewing like everyone's really a thousand times more nervous than they that because it's not a situation that they practice very yeah, often natural. and yeah. so people do weird things and so sort of on the flip side I'd argue that within a lot of interviews which are seemingly going bad there have been plenty of times where I've like calmed the interview down and had people do a reset. Yeah, yeah. And oh, we've ended cool. up hiring those people because effectively you're getting yeah. a false negative about whether or not these people are actually yeah. worth talking to in the first place. Time out. You know what? Let's restart. Exactly. Yeah. I love it. Exactly. I know, you, I know you've hired a ton of people, so what's your... Well, uh, this would be a little bit off the off the rails here, but at, uh, <laughs> we're at Austin Bergstrom Airport at the, the Hilton Hotel down yep. there, the old Air Force Base. And this was back when I was at Lumas. We were hiring one of the top people from Taleo. Yeah. Um, so it was, it, was a, it was a female, so she came in, met Shelly Ingram and myself. Yep. All right? Yep. So had dinner, and she had came in late. And so I, I was staying there, Shelly was staying there, another one of her colleagues, we were all staying in the hotel. This individual was staying at the hotel, have dinner, drinks, okay, great. We all go to bed. This individual decided to stay down for a little bit, whatever. Have a couple some, more drinks. Some more drinks. <laughs> so somehow there's a room mix-up. So it wasn't me or Shelly. It was the third person that was working with us, the, <laughs> the candidate. And we'd all be like, okay, she's good. She's in. Right? This is what yeah, we want. This Final interview, we want to meet. Okay. Yeah. So she walks in with a, a, a friend and um, didn't know that our colleague was sleeping in there. Goes in that bar, <laughs> and then all of a sudden there's two people. Now there's three people uh, kind of hanging in out in the bed. Yeah. And so that went from uh, a hard yes to a hard no. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that was the craziest uh, That's story I have. I, uh, as a follow-up, just real quick, do you like, because you've hired a ton of salespeople, BDRs, et cetera, through the years, do you like it when salespeople negotiate with you? Is it an indicator? Absolutely. It's an indicator of that, that they can negotiate, right? Yeah. I've I feel like you, you shouldn't hire a salesperson who doesn't negotiate. Yeah, like exactly. something's wrong. I've always thought that, but intuitively, but I've never really been able to ask anybody. I'm like, you know, if I'm hiring a salesperson, I, I want that person to go, yeah, not that offer. I'm thinking more of, of this offer over here. You know yeah, that? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Y'all have been wonderful. I know y'all are crazy busy. Thank you so much for coming by and being on the podcast. Well, thanks for having us. Yeah, this was, this was a lot of fun. First thanks one so with you for in the last 25 years. Hey, great. <laughs> Done. You know. Thanks for everyone listening, and until next time, thank you all. Bye-bye. Thanks a lot.